Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna. And me, Frederick. In this episode, we sit down to discuss token standards, what they are and how they come to be, and we speak with Matt Lockyer about the process of submitting an ERC. Before we start, we want to just say thank you to this week's sponsor, Least Authority. Least Authority has recently designed a protocol called the Private Periodic Payment Protocol, or P4, which aims to define the ways in which subscription services can be funded using end-to-end private cryptocurrency payments. It uses Zcash-shielded transaction for private payments and the Tor Anonymity Network's Onion services. In designing the P4 protocol, Least Authority followed the privacy by design principle, a principle that is key to GDPR compliance. If you are exploring ways to introduce secure private subscription payments or make your blockchain GDPR compliant, do reach out to p4 at leastauthority.com. A link to a more detailed specification of P4 can also be found in our show notes. So here is our episode about ERCs and the road to token standards. Today, we want to sit down and talk a little bit about tokens. I think this is a thing that's confusing a lot of people, but it's also a thing that's talked a lot about. It's, you know, the the whole ICO boom obviously revolves around tokens. uh, And we've said good and bad things about that in the past. And ERC-20 is a thing that's thrown around a lot. But I think even people in this space and people quite knowledgeable in this space doesn't actually know what that is or what an ERC is or how it comes into existence. So uh, I think it might be good to cover some of those topics. Definitely. And I also think, I mean, there's some other terms that get thrown around. So like EIPs and ERCs tend to live in the same kind of universe. And yet um, what they actually are and what the distinction is aren't always made clear. Yeah. And they actually, they live in the same repository. They're like sort of within the same process. So it is, it is tricky, but it's a weird thing that usually people who work on EIPs that become protocol changes, you know, don't cover ERCs at all. Like ERCs are not part of the all core devs call, whereas EIPs, at least the ones that have some intention of being implemented are part of the call. I think To start off this conversation, it might not hurt to define a few terms because the word token, for example, gets used interchangeably between something like Ether and something like a token that was issued in an ICO. Or indeed something like Bitcoin, like they're all tokens. So I think to start off, we can say this. There is such a thing as a native token. Native token is the token of the blockchain that it exists in on of (laughs) yeah and so i think i think this is this is a term that comes from the ethereum space probably and uh you know makes sense in ethereum where ether is the native token it's like the thing that you deal with that's you know in the protocol Mm -hmm. and all the other tokens are as results of smart contracts Uh, but like in bitcoin there really isn't anything but the native token their own there is only bitcoin um and I guess all all Bitcoin, quote unquote, clones or forks of would also have that property. 
Yeah, and that's I guess that's why they started calling it altcoins, and you know they because they're they're still native tokens. They have their own blockchain, but they're alternative tokens. <laughs> and I think so. If you have purchased tokens or interacted with tokens in some sort of fundraising activity, you've most likely interacted not with a native token, but rather with what we're going to talk about soon, an ERC-20. Um, sometimes what you'll hear those projects describe is that they are going to be uh, launching a native token after some period of development time. And what that actually means is they will be spinning up their own blockchain, which will have a native token, which is the token that you have probably invested in yeah. or been following. So like Grin is a native token of Grin. Zcash is the native token of the Zcash blockchain. I don't actually know what Zcash calls their token, if it's Zcash or not. I don't know. Oh, yeah. But in Ethereum, like they call the token Ether and the network Ethereum. So Ether is the native token of Ethereum, and everyone has like their own naming schemes. All right, next up, what is an EIP? An EIP is an Ethereum improvement proposal. And Frederick, you come into contact with lots of EIPs in the work that you do. Yeah, um, so at the basis, an EIP is a suggestion proposal by anyone at all um, that thinks some, something should change in the network. Usually we talk mostly about EIPs that cover protocol changes, but there are EIPs that cover other things. So I think originally when EIPs started being made, I think it was thought mostly of as protocol changes. But then eventually things like RPC APIs wanted to be standardized. So now uh, really we shouldn't be changing the standard APIs without going through an EIP. That's sort of something that's informally agreed on by client creators. Um, but at some point, there was also like EIPs proposing standards for other things that aren't protocol. It, it isn't even client. It's just here's a standard type of smart contract that does this type of thing and trying to standardize some, you know, basic smart contracts. And I think like if somehow, I'm not exactly sure on the history here, but somehow that evolved into what we now call ERCs. So these are like contracts standardization efforts. Let's now define exactly what an ERC is. Because if you're coming from an investment space, you will enter this thinking crypto, tokens, ERC-20, and then when you find out what ERC stands for, it's extremely confusing because it actually stands for Ethereum Request for Comment. It is not Token 20, as you may have expected it to be, <laughs> or Token Protocol 20, or Token, you know, token yeah. Standard. Nope. It's Ethereum Request for Comment. So this is, a, this is actually almost like a, like whereas EIPs are very formalized proposals, the ERC, I believe, is, is, is sort of an earlier stage, potentially, of an EIP. It's first you want to get a feel for what the community is going to think of this idea. And then at least this is sort of how I, how I read it. And then it would potentially be formalized into something like an EIP that could then be submitted to the core devs. Well, it, sort of, it stops after having the community buy-in because there's nothing that the core devs need to do. Like there's nothing that they can do. No, absolutely. So the actual ERCs, I totally see as standalone, but I, but 
conceptually, I imagine them as like originally seeming like, oh yeah, we'll do a proposal, we'll do requests for comment, and then something a little bit more uh, aggressive. But I mean, this is this yeah. is very much hearsay. I don't. We weren't there, so I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't know how. Uh, like, I, I I'm familiar with the term like request for comments, and that an RFC is is something that exists in almost any standardization effort. Where, but like, if you're talking about an ERC, like in the Rust language, there are RFCs all the all the time um, to suggest features. So here's a feature suggestion. I post a request for a comment. I get a bunch of comments. Eventually, if there's an agreement that this is a feature that's wanted, it gets implemented in the language. And then the RFC is, is a historical document of why we put this feature in. But indeed, like that, that last step for ER or like for, you know, what, what is now commonly known as ERCs doesn't exist. It just here's here's a contract that I think should be standardized. I think this provides something useful. It would be neat if we can all agree to abide by this format. And then when the community kind of agrees and says, yes, let's all abide by this format, you know, it's done. Everyone has agreed and there's no more work to be done because that's that's the end goal is to get agreement. So an ERC, as we've defined it, is a standardized smart contract spec almost it's a definition of what functions would be included in this smart contract what they do and what seems to happen with it is once proposed it could then be implemented and once implemented devs will take that implementation copy it and then redeploy it themselves and that is basically what it is it's a snippet of code it's a smart contract that somebody formalizes, that the community accepts, and then is used over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And I, I imagine that, like, I mean, there's quite a few ERCs. There's actually a website we're going to link in our show notes where there's a list of all finalized ERCs and draft ERCs. Um, not all ERCs are tokens. No, indeed. Like, I, I think it, the general feeling that I get at least is that ERC applies to any standardized contract and that can be a token or it can be a standardized way to do upgrades for instance that might be a useful erc since everyone wants to like have some basic security and how you do that um but yeah i would almost like the way you describe it you know that you come up with an idea you write down a spec you get agreement that this is a good thing and then you write an implementation i think it almost happens in the reverse direction where someone has written a contract, it seems useful generally, not beyond the application that it was built for. Uh, they kind of ask around, like, would this be useful to have? And people say yes, so they write down a spec and they make an ERC out of it. Cool. So let's talk about the most famous ERC to date. The famous creator of the ICO bubble, the maker of dreams, the... Ruiner of Lives, ERC-20. So ERC-20 was introduced in late 2015, I believe by Mr. Buterin and Fabian Fogelschelle. So what is an ERC-20? An ERC-20 is a protocol standard that defines the rules and standards for issuing tokens on the Ethereum network. And those tokens are not native tokens. Those are any token that could be the Anna coin, the Frederick coin, the zero knowledge coin, the 
cannabis coin, the what have you coin um, that does exist. Uh, it allows you to define the number of tokens that will exist in the world. It allows you to send those tokens around when you first create them. So I can create a hundred Anna tokens and then send a couple to my friends. Um, it allows people who then have those tokens to send them to each other. It allows you to take a look at how many tokens you have. Um, I mean, so, um, yeah, the, the six standard functions that you're going over in an ERC-20 is, is a function to retrieve the total supply, to transfer, to transfer from, to check the balance, to approve, and check in allowance. And um, there's nothing that says that total supply can't return a random value. There's nothing that defines, you know, what the implementation of this has to be just from the spec of the functions. But then, of course, there are standard implementations of, of an ERC-20 as well. So um, people typically don't write their own ERC-20 contracts. They take a standard implementation and move around. And in that standard implementation, it is a fixed supply. I don't know if they actually go into defining in the spec if, like, what the if it has to be a fixed number. But that's a thing that like a lot of people take these standard contracts and like an ERC-20 contract is super simple. Like for anyone who's programmed, like this is just a hash map of address to a number. And it, it, it's simply a data structure that keeps track of how, like what integer belongs to which address. Uh, it's, it's sort of problematic when people take these contracts and copy paste them and start modifying them to like put in their own behavior, like airdrops and everything else. Because, you know, as we've seen, there are many cases where, you know, there's this, you know, someone takes it, creates an airdrop function, and then there's a bug in that airdrop function. And now suddenly you can create coins out of thin air. Um, like that's happened to several of them. And, um, transferring like they modify the transfer function to check some extra stuff and then there's some overflow there and they you can actually transfer more than you have things like that pop up all the time cool but that i guess that's part of the point of trying to standardize these things is that you don't want to have that happen where people create all their own stuff and create bugs all the time think about all those companies that you met at devcon Think of all those companies that are groups, projects that um, you consider part of the Ethereum ecosystem, like the true Ethereum ecosystem. Almost, I mean, I'm all of them or almost all of them have at their core an ERC-20 token if they've raised funds. Uh, or, if, I mean, I guess if you're a DApp developer, you could just be using Ether directly. But if you, like, if you think of Status or Gnosis or maker or a lot of the sponsors of the ETH global events or what have you, they're going to have an ERC-20 at their core. So either it's going to be, as you described, a very simple ERC-20, which is then used by another smart contract with more, much more features, which actually adds the dynamicism of whatever they've built, or maybe it's a slightly varied ERC-20. I guess that would be really basic, though, still. Like, you wouldn't want to build that much into it, would you? No, no, you wouldn't add, like, your whole application into that one contract, obviously. But I, I, there are, like, an airdrop, and especially around racing 
mechanisms and all that kind of stuff. That's where I see the most modification. But um, I, I also see a ton of modification in like how to transfer and doing like batch transfers and all that kind of stuff to make, basically make it cheaper or cheaper to store or something. Um, after ERC-20 came out, since then, there's been the ERC-223, and I believe the ERC-777. I think both of those are new ERC token standards that address smallish flaws in the ERC-20, and yet neither of them have really seen a lot of adoption. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell as well, because they address, like you said, they address some flaws of ERC-20, and a lot of the ERC-20 tokens, as we sort of know them, like I said, they're probably not strictly following the spec and only the spec. They they address some of these issues themselves. So some of them probably are ERC-223 or, or some variation thereof. Um, but the thing with 223 is that it's backwards compatible with ERC-20. So wallet makers, exchanges, blah, blah, blah. They don't have to change anything in the way they operate to be able to use an ERC-223 as an ERC-20 token. So from a user perspective, you wouldn't really be able to tell if it's a 20 or 223. And then an- one other pretty famous ERC token is the ERC-721, which is the NFTs, the nifty non-fungible tokens since we are going to later on in this episode have an interview with Matt, I want to quickly define what a non-fungible token is. Um, we're going to be interviewing Matt because he actually has authored or co-authored uh, an ERC, which is sitting in drafts. I'm very curious to hear sort of a first-hand account of what it is to drive one of these ERCs. But first, let me just define this ERC-721. Non-fungible tokens. I think, like, even though it might not be completely accurate description, a lot of people call them, like, crypto collectibles, which seems like a decent way to explain it to someone if you don't want to go into too much detail. I liked the... So the metaphor I heard for them was um, you have many $20 bills in your wallet potentially you're just like those bills are interchangeable they have value but they're interchangeable that's like how ether the individual like one ether my one ether is not that special i could trade it i could give you my one ether you give me a one ether back and i won't know the difference or care whereas when it's non-fungible that means i have a very special like golden token ether and you have a platinum ether that's special and so and maybe there's only one of them in the world there is only one of them in the world in fact and so my one shiny ether golden token is actually worth twenty-five thousand other ether (laughs) and yours is only worth five so this is kind of what we're talking about each each token is uh uniquely identifiable and un unsplittable so uh, an, an ether, you can split into half an ether each, and, but a non-fungible token, you can't split it, and they're uniquely... Although I think that there are now some new ERC proposals which are all about actually splitting it and having composite non-fungible tokens. It's mm. interesting. 
I know that some of the use cases for it have been really interesting, like non-fungible tokens have been like at least proposed for real estate or collectible shoes, you know, things where you would have shiny special objects of value you could potentially associate with a non-fungible token. It does get very interesting. This is where this sort of ERC and the process and how people are making these proposals start to become quite interesting. So these non-fungible tokens um, that we just defined, they they are actually also ERCs. They are ERC721. So yeah, if you go to that site that I mentioned before, the eips.ethereum.org um, that we will link to, you can see actually the ERCs and who their authors were or proposers were. So the ERC721, you can actually see there was four individuals who proposed it and it was then moved into this final category, which we still need to figure out what exactly what that means. We're also seeing a lot of uh, wallets starting to integrate like non-fungible token functionality. So, and like being able to bring that in across multiple dApps. So instead of having to go to the CryptoKitties website and use their dApp to see which kitties you have, you can just go to your wallet and see all of your collectibles in one place. So apparently CryptoKitties actually was launched before the ERC721 had been defined as final and had gone through this entire process. And yet they were confident enough to use it and it was deployed and it was so popular that that actually helped very much in getting it into that finalized state. That does seem to be part of this process. It's not only, is this a cool idea? Do my friends like it? But the question here is, have enough people decided that whatever I've built or whatever I've proposed is cool and enough projects have shown that actually we need something like this to make our thing work. We need something like this. When it comes to ERC-21s, you can also imagine a few other use cases. Uh, I think game, game gear, characters, things that are collected in games. In fact, I mean, if you think about it, like right now, when you look at like big MMOs, you're kind of trusting that whatever this game owner, the game platform is, is going to be legit and let you sell your items properly and transfer those things. Another example talked about quite a lot is being able to use um, an item across multiple games. So, you know, keeping going with your like MMO example, if you find a, you know, a legendary sword in one game, then you, you know, we can imagine a future where you could use that game, that sword in many other games as well. So that, you sort of build up this portfolio of, of game assets that make you, you know, a high level or whatever in, in multiple games. So it's not just a game from Blizzard or a game for, from some other company. It's like, you know, the, the item has a life on its own and can be used across any production from any company. And I think that's a cool idea. Like it, it would require game designers to explicitly design their games around this, obviously. But uh, it's it's a pretty cool thing. It would have to fit the style of the game. So whatever you import it as, like say you have a sword in some fantasy game and then you bring it into a first-person shooter. So it would have yeah. to transform, obviously, and fit within the actual code of that game. Yeah. 
But again, like an an NFT at the base is is just like an ERC twenty at at the as, at its fundamental. It's just like an ID, and then the game creator can take that ID and illustrate it in whatever way they want. So we've basically defined a number of ERCs. Now the thing we want to understand is what does it mean to actually create an ERC? What is this process like? And neither Frederick or I have done it. So we thought we should definitely ask someone in the community who has. So here is my interview with Matt, who introduced the ERC-998. And that is related to the ERC-721 and non-fungible stuff. Here is our interview. So hi, Matt. Welcome to the Zero Knowledge Podcast. Hi, Anna. Thanks for having me on. So I'm really happy to be on this call with Matt. You've actually had a chance to go through the process of creating an ERC. And so I'm really excited to talk about that. But before we start, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in this space? So my name is Matt Lockyer, and uh, basically I'm a freelance consultant in the space right now, um, just kind of working on various uh, client projects. My background is in uh, UX research and teaching programming at the university uh, level and making curriculum. So I, I got into the space and, and uh, I, I went deep into Ethereum and I f- saw a bunch of people, you know, making a bunch of different uh, smart contracts, token standards. And um, basically, I just saw people kind of like rallying around popular design patterns for decentralized applications. And I wanted to kind of help the community um, build out some of those patterns. So that's sort of how uh, ERC-998 began. I'm curious f- about how that came to be and particularly what the process was like to get this idea into some sort of formalized proposal. But before we start, why don't we actually talk about what ERC-998 is? ERC-998 is uh, basically a standard for composing tokens so this would this would be basically uh a non-fungible token because you need some some token to sort of pivot off of as a container um and and that we thought would would be best to adhere to an erc 721 standard so you know transferability and showing up in your wallet as sort of this this container token um would be the best, uh, the best thing to sort of leverage. So ERC-998 is basically a standard extension to ERC-721 or, uh, you know, any non-fungible token. And what it gives that non-fungible token in terms of like abilities is, uh, the ability to, uh, own and sort of administrate other, uh, ERC-721s or, uh, balances of ERC-20s. So, you can either uh, extend an ERC-721 uh, with the ability to kind of hold other ERC-721s, uh, ERC-20s uh, and, their, and their balances, or you could actually have a mixed bag of both. So you could think of it like um, you could have, you know, uh, a kitty box. So you could have a bunch of crypto kitties in a, in a basket um, or sort of like a little playpen. Uh, and that, and then you could transfer the whole, the whole basket. Uh, you could have a index fund. Um, so you could have a basket of ERC 20 tokens with, uh, their respective balances, or you could have, 
uh, sort of a more complex asset. So you could have a game avatar um, that owned uh, sort of a sword and a shield as unique non-fungible tokens, but also owned some game gold. We were just talking about ERCs in sort of a larger context, that the fact that there's this list of all these different ERCs, these are Ethereum requests for comment. You can have so many of these different kinds of ERCs, and then a couple of them are identified as new tokens. You know, the ERC-20 token or the ERC-721 token. But there's no ERC-998 token per se. This is, is it sort of like an additional kind of characteristic or feature of a 721 is it an add-on to that uh as i as i explain it to people i i always explain that erc 998 is an extension to erc 721 so i refer to it as <clears throat> standard libraries to which you can extend the functionality of a 721 in a standard way. So, and I know that's a lot of standard, 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 but it's very <laughs> important as a community that we, that we take these, uh, these implementations of solidity code and, and these interfaces of, of these things that we are calling tokens, whether they're fungible, non-fungible or non-fungible with special properties and we define them as a community in a standard way and the reason we would do this is so that the wallets the dApps the exchanges don't have to go through the process of implementing bespoke code for every single type of token from every single uh I mean, you could imagine how crazy it would get for every single mm -hmm. blockchain game and every single dApp that's released. So by kind of rallying around these abstract and generalized interfaces and standards for tokens and, and tokens with special properties and extensions of tokens, we can, we can all agree on sort of a, a certain layer of functionality and interoperability that will be available at the application layer. I now want to hear a little bit about the actual step-by-step -step process. I want to go back to that time that you first had the idea, or you guys first had the idea for ERC-998. So um, I'll go a little bit back to um, what, how I mentioned that, uh, that I kind of first was, was thinking about uh, sort of title tokens or deed tokens, as I called them back in you know, June 2017. And then I saw the, uh, the proposal for uh, 721, a non-fungible token, um, back in September 2017. So having already kind of like gone through that experience of uh, seeing somebody raise a proposal and then kind of just, I guess I was, I was a bit of a lurker and I was watching the proposal kind of get uh, bumped along. And I went to ETH Waterloo and I met with the CryptoKitties team and I, I talked to them about what was happening. And so basically after seeing that and then seeing uh, CryptoKitties launch in, in November of 2017, and then seeing the, uh, seeing all the projects that were sort of building on top of CryptoKitties in this sort of permissionless innovation space was really fascinating. And one of the projects that I thought was was interesting and I thought, okay, this is definitely a design pattern that people are going to, that are, they're going to mimic in blockchain games and, and they're going to do a lot of this in the future was uh, kitty hats. And for those that aren't familiar, kitty hats is a way 
to basically put a limited edition hat onto your crypto kitty. Uh, but the way that, that it works is that each hat is a custom ERC 20, uh, contract for the particular hat type with a limited amount of non-divisible fungible tokens. And then you take those, those tokens and you send them to the cat and then they're forever, they're forever stuck on the cat. So, oh, wow. So it's a, t- it's a, it's a balance on the non-fungible. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, so you can compose, but you can, um, you cannot, uh, decompose. So it, it, and, and, you know, like, to, like, I'm not trying to, to disparage the, the Kitty Hats team. This was the best, this was probably the best design pattern at the time, given the standards. And I, I, uh, kind of appreciate that they wanted to sort of leverage something that was already out there, like ERC 20. However, launching, like launching bespoke contracts for every single hat was a, was a bit, like a bit much. Um, so, cause you could imagine how that could get like kind of crazy. You start to get into, you know, thousands of hats. Well, you've got, thousands of smart contracts that you're deploying. Um, yeah. So uh, that led me to sort of think about uh, what is the underlying concept here? Like what's the, what's the general design pattern that we want? And uh, it comes down to basically co- a composition pattern. Um, so there's these old books uh, about, <laughs> about programming languages. Like uh, there's one by the game of four. It's just, I think it's just called design patterns, but you can Google the gang of four and software and you'll find it. But basically, uh, composability is where you have, uh, an object that can basically, uh, own a bunch of children and the children can also be, uh, composables as well. And so, uh, this was just a concept that I thought we probably as a community need to standardize because, uh, as I, as I mentioned, you know, like more and more, if more and more projects want this functionality, like for instance, a game avatar that you can equip a sword, a shield and, and give them some balance of game gold, but then you want to be able to transfer the whole avatar in a single transfer on a decentralized exchange. If every project builds these avatars in a custom way, then, then that means all the DEXs and all the wallets and all of the other games that want to, you know, uh, kind of, permissionlessly innovate on top of these assets, they all have to implement the custom application like code to talk to that, the smart contracts of that particular project. And it's like, it's a lot of bespoke code. It's a lot of testing and it's a, it's a lot of stuff that could go wrong if there isn't a sort of a standard interface. And so by, by standardizing, it just speeds up the community's development. I can already see. So, like you, you noticed this kind of as a need. It sounds like a need. Like you saw this pattern emerging, where you realized that this was going to be something that many different groups and teams and contexts and industries, like a lot of different ideas around non fungibles, are going to require this feature. And you saw, I guess, uh, an opportunity to standardize it. So, what was the first thing you did when you when you figured out, okay, this is something that needs to happen? The short answer is that uh, it's a long process. Basically, this was sort of around the beginning of 2018. I I started to really kind of go back to some of my old code. I had, I had been sort of fooling around with uh, title tokens, and I started to kind of expand on those smart contracts and see if I could actually get this to work. After having kind of like proved out a very, very basic 
uh, implementation and like, you know, I'm just writing, I'm just writing truffle tests. I'm not doing anything magical here. I'm writing truffle tests. I'm using, I'm using random gas estimation, like, you know, stuff and, and really, really coarse. And, and this was really bad code. I just want to let everyone in the community know, like, you know, you don't need to hit it out of the park on the first, like on the first crack, like you, you can, you can put something out there and then people will slowly like start to kind of flood in and, and support you if, if they believe in the idea. So the first thing to do was basically to write a blog post about this, explaining the whole concept. And I wrote uh, the first post in, in April, 2018. And it basically said, uh, it was titled introducing crypto composables. And I, I was uh, shocked at the, the sort of the response from that, um, you know, within 24 hours, like a dozen people wanted to, to jump on a quick call with me and figure out what was, what was the, what was going on. I was contacted by a few people. I, I had been in the Ethereum community for a bit and I'd contacted by a few people from, uh, the Ethereum foundation, uh, Ethereum magicians, like all, all sorts of, uh, people from the community basically saw this sort of a bit of a mini groundswell and they said, okay, well, you know, let's jump on the phone with Matt and talk to him about how to bootstrap a community around tokens and token standards. So I had a great conversation with Jamie Pitts um, about, and he works for the Ethereum Foundation for, for those who don't know uh, who he is. And he's a big proponent of Ethereum magicians. And we had this really awesome talk about how to uh, boot up uh, a community around this. And that became uh, nifty magicians. So it's NFTY magicians. And there's a discord channel, uh, which Jamie said was, was probably one of the best tools out there for just ephemeral chat. And, uh, now there's like over 400 developers in it. And, mm. uh, we kind of chat about token standards and we, we sort of, uh, we were heavily pushing along, uh, ERC 998 inside that channel. Um, so that kind of brings you up to speed about kind of, I guess, where it all began and, um, mm. and how it got started. After that, you all of a sudden realize, okay, there is clearly a need for this stuff. People are excited. Something should happen. What did you do next? So what happened next uh, was I boot up this Discord server. Uh, people just start flooding in and um, we start chatting. And so we set up a, a regular sort of cadence of calls um, where we would just have calls like every couple of weeks. And from early on, a really awesome Solidity programmer, his name is Nick Mudgeon, and he basically reached out to me. We we start ch kind of chatting a little bit about the code and the reference implementation that I was writing, which had sort of uh, somewhat like working code. It wasn't the best, but it, it was up, it had some tests and it sort of, it proved out the concept. Um, there were, there were obvious like attack vectors and, and issues with the code and, and gas things. Uh, Nick jumped in and, and, you know, right away we're making pull requests. And then we get on these, uh, sort of bi-weekly calls and we just keep refining that repo. And then we would go back to the ERC and we would update it and, and redefine, uh, redefine the standard as the community was sort of, um, steering it. And then eventually, uh, you know, some developers from a bigger project that people might know about, uh, CryptoKitties, they started to drop into the channel and drop into the calls and, and talk about how we do composable tokens with existing 721s that are already like out on the blockchain. But it was a very healthy exercise because obviously, 
you know, popular project and we can really get behind um, standardizing like an interface if there's a, a sort of a project to sort of blaze a path. So what happens totally. typically with standards is that there's either a, a consortium or community that will uh, will sort of build a spec, uh, like a like a, a specification around an interface, and um, and an interface is just basically you know what which functions should a composable token have, and sort of what what state in storage should it store, um, hmm. and. Typically, a consortium will design a specification for that interface, and then they'll sort of they'll design a reference implementation in lieu of a project that has a strong working implementation. So there's kind of a couple of different paths towards something becoming a standard. So Jordan Shalm from the Axiom Zen CryptoKitties team started to participate in the discussion in the repo. And then we came up with uh, with a different way to do composables with ERC-721s that were already deployed uh, on the blockchain. So around the end of uh, 2018, we had Nick write up an official uh, EIP draft. So now um, Nick's EIP is, uh, it's still in dra like draft status, but it's, it's in the actual official EIPs folder. What I want to understand is like the ERC draft has been created as far as I understand. Like I've seen it on the, if you look at this uh, EIPS dot, ethereum.org site, there's an ERC list, and you have draft ERCs and final ERCs, and I see the 998 in the drafts. What is a ERC in drafts? What does that mean? The original, the original, like, the original post, which anyone can post as a, as a GitHub issue, is, is the ERC request for comment, and that was, that was done by me back in, in April 2018. When you made the blog post, I didn't get that. When you made the blog post, you actually also put an ERC, you, you posted an ERC. Yeah, exactly. So there, there, there was sort of a, a blog post, but nobody can, like, I mean, people post on, on, people post comments on Medium posts, but nobody, there's no discussion or discourse yeah. there. So the, the discourse was happening on GitHub underneath the, the GitHub issue, uh, on the Ethereum repo. And I mean, like you, you sort of like kind of, you know, you have a little heart palpitation and you go, Oh, oh my God, I'm going to post an issue on, on the Ethereum repo. Right. And, uh, you <laughs> hope that somebody's not going to yell at you. Right. Uh, so you, again, like I, like I encourage the community, like don't wait until it's perfect, just ship it because you can always yeah. edit that issue and you can re you can redefine it for clarity. Um, that like like I said, you know, from from uh, April 2018 until the end of 2018, there was just really um, comments being made on that GitHub repo. We were pulling in developers into Nifty Magicians Discord for like ephemeral chat and sort of biweekly calls, and then we were summarizing those calls, writing blog posts, releasing blog posts as a community around, largely around. Uh, ERC 998 and composables. And then once we got to a certain point and we had like a bit of, a bit of sort of feedback from prominent projects in the space, um, Nick decided to, uh, he said, okay, I think it's time for an EIP, which is Ethereum improvement proposal. So just solidifying all of that, uh, solidifying all of that, that had just sort of taken place. And from when an EIP happens, it takes, uh, it takes a long time um, to to get to final because, uh, as I said, you know it's it's a 
the token standards are a small sort of footnote of what the core developers have to do, but eventually um, they're the ones that can kind of, you know, wave their magic wand and, and sort of push the, the status to, to review and to final review. Would the 998, like it doesn't, as far as I understand, it still doesn't hit the EVM. So do core devs actually have to implement anything for this EIP to pass? No, and that's a great uh, uh, distinction. So there are already projects that have forked our composables 998 code and they've, they've implemented it and they're like, they're out there. They're already on the mainnet. And actually, um, some of, some of the projects, uh, did it before, before we had really even settled on the standard interface. So now, so now like, uh, unfortunately for those projects, they, they didn't really participate in the discussion and they kind of couldn't, they couldn't hold their horses back. So they've, they've deployed contracts that, um, that while they might have, might have composable functionality, they mm. don't, they don't have the same interface as the, the standard that's in draft mode right now. What makes it so that an ERC is now final? Like, I understand that it's sort of been transformed now into an EIP, but I'm wondering if, like, will there be the ERC-998 in the finals draft somewhere, or will it be transformed then to an EIP that goes into some form, some, some sort of final state? I don't know if you know this, but I don't that, get it. Uh, that is... Uh that is a like a, a really 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 great question and and to be honest um i don't know the official answer but i will i will sort of just tell the community um and and just hopefully this inspires some more clarity around this um <clears throat> so we'll we have the the core developers who are who are working you know tirelessly on the evm and actually uh, you know, upgrading the core, the, like the core Ethereum, uh, towards like, you know, scalability and, and sharding and a bunch of these other, um, uh, sort of things that we need. And part of that is like they decide on opcodes in the EVM. And that's really important. Um, these tokens don't require any of that. We built ERC 998 even way back. I had a proof of concept that had, um, no custom requirements from the EVM. So no, no special opcodes, nothing, right? And, and we could have tokens that owned other tokens. And so when that moves to like an EIP, and it's the same similar story for ERC 99, or sorry, ERC 721 moving to EIP 721 and, and final review, the uh, Ethereum core developers, they don't need to really, uh, think about the EVM or anything like that. And, and as I alluded to, they, they really just need to wave a wand on the EIP mm-hmm. and basically say, you know, we consider the community to have, uh, rallied behind this as their, you know, as their majority, uh, you know, majority voice, uh, is rallying behind this token standard as the way that they want to implement this particular token design pattern and this particular interface and they wave mm-hmm. their magic wand and they kind of bump it up a level in terms of its progression towards uh becoming a final standard got it so they basically you just need some sort of signal they need to say something publicly i guess somewhere yeah yeah this is cool we're into it it's happening exactly and the best signal for the ethereum core developers is that there is a um a large amount of projects that are building on the standard so it's sort of like uh we're at the chicken and the egg 
scenario, like having a lot of projects and a lot of like sort of, you know, uh, working in working implementations of a, of a token standard and a lot of, a lot of dApps, a lot of interfaces, a lot of community and communication around why this would be a good idea to have this be a final standard and have this be kind of solidified. That gives great signal to, uh, you know, to the Ethereum community and, and, you know, it funnels through, funnels through organizations like uh, Ethereum Magicians, which is completely wide and open, all the way up to the, the core devs. Eventually, that signal hits the core devs, who are incredibly busy, but they they get a synthesis of that signal, and they sort of say, okay, look, the community's basically spoken. And then what happens? Do they just have to move the EIP into some sort of state, <laughs> like on GitHub? For a token standard, yes. Um, for, okay. for anything that touches the, you know, for anything that touches the EVM, and I sort of mentioned, you know, opcodes and like new opcodes and stuff, that is a more complicated discussion, Anna, that I cannot speak to because I'm not part no of, worries. I'm not part of that process. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. That's not what we're talking about today anyway. Cool. No, but so that makes sense though. So that's what, like, once the EIP though, the EIP that is not affecting opcodes is not affecting EVM. Once that has, moved on or been accepted um that's when you have this erc token standard which is considered on some level final exactly got it so this has been super helpful because i think this has been this big question mark we knew we've known that ei ercs and eips work together um i gotta say like in terms of documentation i think you sort of mentioned this like it's very difficult as an outsider looking at this to really understand the flow to see what one is supposed to do at what point and i think your journey with erc 998 and hopefully this story will help people to understand a little bit better what they're supposed to do if they see also patterns or start to think about presenting a standard so listen, want to say thank you again for being on the podcast. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what you're working on right now and how people can reach you. So I work as a freelance consultant in the space uh, for a bunch of different uh, clients and I do some enterprise education and um, and I also do some writing on Medium as, as a lot of people in the community do. And uh, there you can kind of find my thoughts on uh, the direction that the, the space is going. And also uh, you can also reach out on Twitter. Very cool. We will add those uh, links in the show notes. So thanks again. Thanks, Anna. So thanks again, Matt, for doing that interview. I think that definitely gave us some nice insight into the process with this firsthand account. So now what's next? So what do we think might be the limitations of this system? Well, it's, it's the limitation of any standardization process. Uh, you know, it, it's always hard to get something standardized. And once there is a standard, someone will disagree with it and create another competing standard. And so I think that's the limitation is not in any, because like technically an ERC can be anything at all. Like it's, it's a Turing complete programming language. It can be whatever they're, there are no technical limitations, but the limitations are around process and around, you know, I, I think um, there was a talk at the Web3 Summit last year from Harry Halpin, who's worked a lot in the 
World Wide Web Consortium and um, with standardizations for like web standards. And um, his talk was basically what are the limitations, what are the problems of standardization processes? And he raises a lot of good points. It, it's It's a difficult thing to deal with. I also think, I mean, in this particular case, one of the big challenges is that the actual process for even making these requests for comment, the Ethereum request for comment, aren't entirely clear. And what steps they need to go through in order to reach this final state seem to be very undefined. So those are the problems that we can see so far. But what are the possibilities? What can we do with these things? I, I would personally be excited to see more development in ERCs around upgradability, even though, you know, upgradability brings a host of problems. Um, having some sort of standard standard way to do it would be good. ERCs, uh, I know there already exists some ERCs around like multi-sig wallets. Um, key infrastructure pieces like that, I think, belong as ERCs and not to be reinvented by people. Um, but but like uh, what I mentioned before about composability, I think that's an important thing and something that almost needs to be brought up at, as a broad topic in the process to say that any ERC has to be composable and interoperable with other ERCs. Like don't create an ERC that can't that you can't build anything on top of or that you can't you know, work with older or newer versions of whatever you're trying to build. So uh, think composability first. I think that's, um, once we get some composability, some some basic building blocks, uh, the ideal would be to like, you know, just pull in all of these, you know, pull, pull in four of these things and then build your app, like application logic on top and you're done. And uh, hopefully your application logic interacts with those things in such a way that you're not actually exposing that much risk to your uh, users. So I think that's a pretty good point to end this episode on. Um, I think, I hope that this episode helped a little bit, helped people to understand um, what they're talking about when they're talking about ERC-20s, where that comes from how it is created, thought of, and proposed, and implemented, or in the opposite sense, implemented, proposed, (laughs) contemplated, whatever. Um, And I hope that people leave with this this sense of um, also realizing how hands-on this whole space is. But, like, you can create one, too, if you want to. Yeah, I think uh, there is indeed a lot of confusion about what these CRCs are, how they come to be, um, even just like at a, at a fundamental technical level, like a lot of people think that it is something inherent to Ethereum as a blockchain that clients implemented or that wallets implemented or something like that. Uh, but indeed it, they're all just smart contracts. So, um, yeah, I hope we cleared that up for someone and that, we leave it a little bit wiser. Cool. So then to our listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>